Remember six. Going to the airport. Remember six. Riding around town. Call Carmel. Shopping on the way. Remember six. The best ride in town. For wherever you want to go. Carmel is a number to know. Ride Carmel and be on time. Worldwide and nationwide. Six, 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 six. Remember six. Worst song intro. Welcome everyone to the 66th episode of the Light Shed Podcast. Why couldn't we use that song like Route 66? (laughs) (laughs) Because Brandon for the the entire week has been thinking about Carmel cars and 666. That's my my favorite jingle ever. I always forget what episode it is on the intro, so there were, there was no chance of forgetting this time. Does Carmel still was, exist, or did it? Did, um, I don't know. Them? You would you would think Uber would have killed them. I don't think I've seen that commercial for a long in a time. Long time. I used to be a heavy user of Carmel cars in the. I guess it would be the early nineties. Yeah. There's still that um, cars for kids one eight hundred. <laughs> They updated the commercial. I knew the kid. Oh, one eight for the original commercial. One of the kids he got paid fifty dollars with no residual, and they played that thing over and over. His That's old t- the kid playing the keyboard. I know played only got fifty dollars for the whole thing. That's so think about that if you don't have cars, how they rip off poor kids doing their commercials for your Exploit tax benefit. Them. We've really gone off the rails, and we're like a minute into I don't, this podcast. I don't think we're off the rails. No. I think that you know. We cover media, and advertising is a big part of it. You know what's off the rails, Brandon? What? COVID. Yeah. Yeah. God. It's sort of depressing. It's giving me a little bit of anxiety. I I have to admit. Um. But lots of shutdowns, lots of of uh, like a tidal wave avalanche. I think is a better word of companies, um, basically requiring vaccinations and yeah. Um, we saw restaurants, ag- restaurant, first restaurant group, Danny Meyer can't eat there without no, I see, to yeah, Square I saw Cafe. but isn't it weird? I think de Blasio this past week said that, um, restaurant staff doesn't have to wear masks anymore. And now I'm hearing that on Monday, we might be going back to masks in New York city. I don't like restaurant staff wearing masks so they don't spit in my food accidentally. Like but anyway, well, like not correct. in a non-COVID yeah. situation. It's a nice extra yeah, but, protection. But but Brandon, like think about how everything's <laughs> well, you, moving so because, fast. Or is it because you're such an asshole that you get your food spit in all the time? Possibly. But the thing I don't, and I do, I do always ask for a paper menu. I really don't like this QR code menu thing that has to end. Um, but the other thing I'm irritated about, Brandon, is you know my kids are college age and the universities where they go require them to be vaccinated, but they're because of the change in the CDC guidelines this week, even though everyone's vaccinated, they're still going to require them to wear masks. And I think you're seeing again, an avalanche of mask requirements in multiple indoor locations. I get it where someone's like vaccinated or not vaccinated, but it's, it's a little interesting that even in a room that everyone is required to be vaccinated. They still are requiring masks. Um, not sure the science or the data behind that, but obviously this is um, I don't know. I think frustrating. It's, the idea now is this breakthrough case thing, and you could still be contagious. Even but if contagious to people that are all vaccinated. So, and the, vac- the whole point of the vaccine was to limit the actual... Um, hospitalizations to a very low percentage so which it seems can't to be solve for zero percent nor do we for any other diseases so okay all we know is that all of this is slowing the back to work right i mean sure I know you were talking about it you know kind of vis-a-vis cogent last week but like you know, we were just on the charter call and Rutledge out of nowhere says, you know, businesses, you know, business services coming back slower than expected. Much slower than they expect. Yep. Yeah. And, and and he called out New York and California as being notably slower within that. Obviously, big strength. Strong and we saw it for charter. ourselves when we were in Midtown a couple of weeks ago together. And there it was yeah. a absolute ghost town, despite the fact that a bunch of financial institutions um forced back to the office 
What's interesting is he expects, I think when people come back to the office and they repopulate the cities at some point in the future, what was also interesting is Rutledge was very optimistic about how they can sell up into the enterprise. They've typically been a small, medium business type of application, but he's talking about SD-WAN and enterprise and fiber. And these are all risk factors, obviously, for um, cogent um, in terms of their ability to, to develop any steady growth in corporate. But I think, Brandon, part of to what you're the, the sort of the flip flopping that you just were talking about in terms of New York. But look at Twitter. Yep. I mean, Twitter, July 12th, they were everyone was tweeting from Twitter. First day back in the office. Happy to be back yep. in the office. And now they're now closing the offices in New York and California again because of the Delta variant. And so and Apple store with masks. Yeah, look, I think everyone is just. I'm just. How are, I'm, how is the economic signs in like advertising and any, anything that would point to economic slowdown? And in, in the company, we've had a slew. Well, of earnings I mean, we look. We then? just. I mean, this Q2, like earnings, especially advertising broadly, but digital advertising is absolutely um, on fire. So crazy numbers, but again, I, I do think that we, when we talk about how advertising is on fire, we should sort of frame it. TV advertising is actually down versus 2019. So like it's huge rebound, yeah. you know, All, major year over year increases. Albeit the- um, when Comcast reported their upfront results uh, for NBCU were pr- pretty good. I think they were up sure. double digits in both price and volume. I'm sure that Peacock has a little something to do with that. Peacock. You know, th- there's no doubt. But I also want to go back to Walt's point. Advertising is somewhat backward looking, right? And so to the extent that e-com well, or anything results, starts to slow. Also, Q2 results are backward. Backwards looking, right. Yeah. Let's take Apple then. I mean, their iPhone numbers were off the charts. Um, so there was obviously plenty of demand economically for people buying phones. But on their call, they referenced, you know, look, we not be, might not be able to supply in future quarters based on the outlook on, on chips. And here's a, here's a company that, um, you know, they're probably the biggest buyer. Now, TSMC, I think very recently, last week, I think it was, talked about how they expect to free up some of this, um, these supply chain issues going into the next couple of quarters. But look, if Apple has greater visibility and greater um, buying power than anybody, you have to wonder about all of these other industries that are reliant on a, you know, the supply chain and what's happening in, in, in the chip um, side of things that, you know, if Apple can't <laughs> tell you that they're going to, they have good visibility, then I'm not sure how anyone else can. Like car manufacturers, for instance. Yeah. Anyone. Which look, I think that level of uncertainty, we'll see how that translates into the ad market. Obviously, everyone was making sort of very positive statements kind of heading into Q3. I mean, the guidance, whether it be Facebook, I mean, everyone's numbers in terms of forward forecast look pretty, you know, pretty exciting growth rate wise. But obviously, a lot can change. And I think a lot of people betting on, you know, strong back to school and sort of strong into year end, but obviously a lot can change as we've known from the last 12 months. So, so is the is the 10 year now the Karnak, Karnak, Karnak of COVID? I mean, the 10 year yield obviously had been coming down the last couple of weeks. People were talking about technical things and this, you know, the, but look, you know, we're kind of in the thick of it this week. This was another kind of one of those feeling a little bit like March of last year, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how things are kind of quickly avalanching, snowballing, whatever it is. Uh, Sorry. Not that, not that that bad, please. I'm sure it bodes well. well, People aren't dying as much. I mean, if you're rich, rich is about to get rich is about to get his movie theater. No, I'm just saying it always comes back to movie theater. Or do we have to execute up this way? Okay, go. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying it has to be good for movie theaters. How is St. Bart's? Well, the last time I was, the last time I, yes, I am. The last time I was out of the country was in March and, that's I think my flight yeah. was the evening that our that former was... president had shut down um, travel to, from you know anyone coming to the U.S. So Early, um, earlier that day, Walt is sending us pictures of himself drinking a Corona right. somewhere yeah. in London. So maybe and... my international travel is the Karnak of COVID <laughs> in determining when things are going to invert. I to my listeners, maybe no more international travel for me until this thing is done. So I'll save us all. Okay, let's go to our first slide. Let's get to the slides. 
So we've got Jerry Smith saying NBC Olympics primetime audience down 42% after the first five nights compared to 2016. NBC trying to appease advertisers who describe the early ratings as disappointing. You know, it's sort of the, the funny part about this is like people are going, oh, it's the time difference. It's 12 hours. It's Simone Biles. It's Osaka. It's Coco, whatever. 40% over five years. Like, I'd actually say that that's actually pretty good in the scheme of things. I mean, we're seeing sports events that are down 20 or 30 percent just from last year, let alone over the last well, five years. I mean, you know, I, off of 19, off of 19. Yeah, but I'm saying what is what do you think NBA ratings are today versus 2016? They're probably down 40 percent mm, plus. I, I don't know about 40 because they came up and then they came they came down but yeah no i hear you and the amount of poor cutting how many mvpd subscribers were there in in 2016 versus how many are there today but look i mean this has generally um been the trend for sports and you know other live broadcasts i mean <laughs> i think the, the they were more that- they were more immune to uh ratings issues and now uh they're not yeah, I also just think that sort of there's just like a, you know, I know we were talking about this earlier in the day, like there's just a lack of buzz. Like there's just no buzz around the Olympics. I don't know if that's just, you know, where we are in the world. I don't know if it's sort of, you know, people just being happy that we're no longer as locked down as we were a year ago. But it just doesn't feel like there is sort of the excitement. The around fact that the there Olympics. aren't that there aren't fans there. Yeah, I don't know. I, Some just, of the like kind of like moral issues surrounding it. I mean, it's a confluence of factors, obviously. Well, but like the reason I the, the reason are. I bring it up is that we're only six months away from yet another Olympics. So the <laughs> Winter Olympics in was it Beijing? I think it's Beijing, right? I think it's Beijing in in oh the in in winter. I think it's February. So uh, it just there definitely won't be additional issues around that. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's why I bring it up. Okay, so let's go probably to the most interesting topic of the week, which was um, obviously Zuckerberg's comment about this is this is hilarious. Yeah, well, let let me do the setup. So Zuck gets on their conference call and says basically any actually it's not even fair. He didn't just do this on the conference call. He actually did it before the conference call and basically reiterated it on the conference call. But he talked about it last week. Well, yeah. he went on the Verge cast with with Casey Newton and basically said, we're now a metaverse company. We're no longer a social networking company. And then, Brandon, why don't you read an epic troll from Jack Dorsey and explain it? Jack Dorsey, 1992. The Internet will be like Snow Crash. 2021, the Facebook will be like Snow Crash. Um, so Snow Crash, obviously, is the book that you know, people point to as, you know, it's sort of like what the metaverse um, would would be like um, in the future. And it's just making fun of Zuck always chasing the shiny new object a little bit late to the game. And it is like, I mean, he has had some of the pieces in place um, to be building blocks for the metaverse. Obviously, he acquired Oculus interested it has been interested in vr but you never heard the word metaverse at a zuck's mouth until i don't know this year when the word metaverse got got buzzy should i go like this for this segment i could go i was wondering where you were going well i could get my quest too that i was just sitting with but like Anyway, I, I, they're going to spend billions of dollars a year building the metaverse. And I don't, but what the fuck does that? I don't even under, understand what that means. Building the metaverse. I don't understand that. Facebook is a social network where you scroll through pictures and now you scroll through video. I don't truly understand how well, they look, sort of. Right. I mean, there's going to be a continued evolution of the Internet. Right. They have recognized that. Um, in that evolution, sort of the spending time in 3D space and being, I guess, inside the operating system uh, uh, instead of controlling uh, it from on. the outside let, is going to be a pause piece you. of but it. Let me, let Understand. Me just pause you. But let me just okay. pause you. Let's just go back in time. Five years ago, Facebook said we're now going to be video focused. And they went yeah. all into like doing well, they, Facebook watch well, they went from, video content. They, went from, they have pivoted pretty well. Like, let's go back in the history of Facebook. They started off on the web 
that Correct. just around the IPO pivot into mobile was amazing. Epic. The sure. ad units that they added in feed changed the course of, and targeting changed the course of advertising, right? Amazing pivot. Sure. Then they understood and pivoted into video. Yes, but not the way they thought. So like That's when they true. first started their video That's pivot, true. it was, we're going to put video content that is long form that looks like everyone else's and news That's clips right. that looks like traditional websites. They actually, the only reason the pivot worked into video is they copied TikTok, they copied Snapchat, and they copied those mechanics. And they're actually yep. moving the entire Instagram platform to look more like TikTok. My point is, Simply after making it look, you know, after adding stories, you know, copying Snap, which was a big thing. So what I'm getting at is, are they actually going to create the metaverse or is somebody else going to do it? And they're going to simply copy it and maybe copy it better at some point in the future. But like, well, I mean, I think, again, the metaverse, whatever that is, right, is it's there's going to be a continuum and an evolution um, towards uh, new ways of interacting on the on the internet, right? And I think that they are going to invest heavily in some of those building blocks. Does that mean they're going to become? I, I don't know why. Are they, they have building to say, their own? Are they building their own Fortnite-like world where I'm going to play experiences or Roblox where I'm play experience? Like I just don't understand. Where is that experience other than VR? Where does that experience play out within the Facebook family of apps? Like, I don't see it today. It's not obvious to me how they pivot into well, a metaverse company. He's, he's talked a lot about um, like having like work, like what's the future of work, right? And us being in separate locations, but having meetings together in 3D space as an example. I mean, that is a much more metaverse um, type application. Well, I mean, actually, we had we had Anna Sweet on and Brian Weinstein from Bad Robot on Lightshed Live this week. And Anna actually had an, a fascinating observation. She said the company that's actually had yep. the, the most the, the sort of the company that's been most the biggest driver of sort of the metaverse. most impactful in oh, her mind right. in, in helping to build the metaverse with Zoom. Because we all sort of learn to kind of virtually be together um, in a video fashion, interacting. Yeah. Um, which is not a company that I think yeah, most people I, think I mean, about as a metaverse player. When you when you talk about metaverse, so you're generally talking about being able to control your own identity, right? Which is why the avatar is is such a big part of it. Um, but that idea of being together in virtual space, as opposed to in IRL. What we're doing right now is another one of those building blocks. And again, it's a continuous evolution of how we interact. I hate to say this is the metaverse. We're in the metaverse now versus we're not. It's just technology is allowing for different experiences. So along those lines, Snapchat this week basically showed that the built-in maps are actually going to start recommending places for you to visit. And I think what this obviously doesn't, it works better if you're watching our podcast versus just listening to it, but you can actually see your Bitmoji is becoming more 3D-like. It's living within the virtual Snap map. And now it's going to start telling you places to go in real life, but theoretically it could also be showing you things to do in the virtual space as well. It, you know, it's, it's all very early days, but I thought it's just interesting how Snap is sort of the only company that has this virtual map and kind of world, the way we think about sort of worlds and landscapes inside of a Fortnite or a Roblox or whatever. Snap's really the only one that sort of has that. Well, this is, is you know, a direct representation of um, what the world, you know, actually looks like. <laughs> so it's basically you know, a, a more interactive um, Google Maps with avatars. Yeah, but it could also be accentuated. So it could obviously learn more about you. I think Evans talked about sort of the map could be a little different, right? Like they're going to overlay Ticketmaster and sort of do, you know, they're going to have concerts that are going to overlay into yeah, it. Yeah, no, totally. There's also going to be, you know, space on maps that isn't representative of what's actually happening in the real world. <laughs> It, right. I don't know. It just it, it feels to me like that's a bigger like a full block new to the metaverse. World. 
I, it just feels like that's more of a, a metaverse building block than what I see sort of, you know, leave off Oculus, which is sort of this, you know, the virtual, the truly kind of goggles closing off the world. It just feels like that sort of feels like the most tangible of the mobile platforms that actually sort of has a, a building block to the metaverse. And I don't think Snap gets a lot of credit for it. They certainly aren't talking about it like that, but it does feel like that building block is there. Okay, let's talk uh, a little um, T-Mobile and Dish, Walt. Yeah, this is a good kind of follow-on from last week because um, we saw the reaction that T-Mobile had to Dish signing the deal with AT&T where they basically said they're they're offering they're targeting those boost customers that Dish now owns with very aggressive rate plans. Um, then they get on their earnings call and say like, well, because there was two billion plus, they claim it's just under two billion of money of dollars that Dish is paying um, T-Mobile for these services, and they're and they're saying, but you know what? That's not going to impact our guidance of thirteen or fourteen billion dollars because we just assumed that that was going to go to zero. So just ver- words versus actions. You don't. You launch a new rate plan to go after these customers right after Dish signs a deal with AT and T, but you never expected, or you always expected that to go to zero in the first place. And so, so conversely, is, is this revisionist history? Like, are we I'm just, just re- I'm just, I'm just matching actions yeah. to words. Um, oh. And then secondly, I would say, what would the FCC and the DOJ think about the fact that from day one? you expected Dish's business to go to zero. And doesn't that kind of support the fact that T-Mobile was the instigator in having this contract fall apart? I mean, it's- Meaning, meaning they wanted it to, they, they knew it was going to fall apart, so they, they made it fall no, apart. I don't know if they wanted to, but like they behaved in a manner that 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 I think drove Dish to AT&T, that it's my belief, look, this is debatable. It's my belief that Dish- would not have had to go to AT&T or, or maybe in Verizon in the future to, to sign this new agreement had T-Mobile dealt with them in a more, I don't know, friendly, if it's the right word, like, that's fine. Like, and everyone's going to blame Charlie. That's the easy thing to do. But like the net result of this is you have $2 billion of high margin revenue that's, that's disappearing. So, and to think that, and for people to applaud them and say like, okay, but they're offering half price. They're going to have to give free phones. So CPGA, and then only get a half rate customer to get back a portion of the revenue. And that's like a win for the industry. Like, okay. Or, and for them. Okay. Anyway, interesting follow on from, from last week and we'll see where it goes from here. Um, Sometimes it's okay. Management teams to just say, you know what, this, this happened. Here's the impact rather than say, oh yeah, we already expected that. I mean, come on. It's just like, how is that believable? How is everyone likes everyone likes to spin everything as positive. Nothing's ever negative. Nothing's, Nothing's ever, ever negative. negative. It's, it's like just, these cable companies that like everything improves the churn. They did it again. Every single thing that they do, the return on investment is because it's reducing churn in their core business, which is, by the way, is a fucking monopoly. So why well, do you have any churn in your monopolistic business anyway? Well, but, but the if, best part is churn that you a metric you don't report. So but, yeah, but, I mean, like if I didn't have to report my weight, I could just tell you that I'm losing weight all the time. Except no, look at me. We have eyes. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Exactly. You'd we look at eyes. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but the other part of this, Walt, that's amazing about the cable companies is they're also saying that, you know, if you leave off Altice, which is laying fiber and digging up, and they just told me that I yeah. can get it in my neighborhood. Like, but it, like, if you leave off Altice, the cable guys, Comcast, Charter, are still saying, like, we're fine on, you know, we don't need to lay fiber. We don't need to dig up the ground. We don't need to do this and lay symmetrical fiber. And they're looking and they're looking at what they have now, which is, you know, as Comcast pointed out, all time low broadband churn. Correct. Right. And there was like the idea is, oh, we don't, there's never going to be another cable, you know, major cable CapEx cycle again. Sure. But in the meantime, AT&T is building fiber. No, and yet we're talking about the metaverse. We're talking about a two-way, always-on, interactive, immersive video world with communications all around the world. And my 20 meg upstream from Charter in the city is going to be more than sufficient. I mean, like the Charter, you know, customer service guy or technician comes to my house, and I was sort of complaining about the upstream bandwidth. And he goes, "Sir, 20 megs upstream. That's more than you could ever need. Like, there's just no reason." (laughs) Why well, you people, would ever need people that? People didn't understand, it, like, why you would ever need, I don't know, 
30 megs down because you right. couldn't really think of what application you were going to use that required it. Right. And now we know the applications. Yeah, techno yeah, technology evolves, new applications come about. Well, I don't know what it's going to be, metaverse, telemedicine, whatever it may be. IoT um, that Walt writes about all the there's time. There's always reasons for more. Meanwhile, the government in their latest infrastructure plan, their solution to this is, is to say to the cable companies or the ISPs, which would also include, you know, Fios and whoever, about offering a low-end rate plan. And again, the issue here is like, to regulate and force them to offer a low end rate. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but like the bigger issue is competition and getting them to increase the services for everyone to have more applications in the global economy that we're trying to compete with. Every and time you by say the way, competition, it reminds me of Wheeler. Competition. 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 By the way, I know it's an aside, but we still don't know the FCC. Like, are we ever going to know who's yeah, I was just going to say FCC? that. And Biden still has not put forth a what candidate. What are we waiting for? The, for? Well, like, we're waiting. It's the politics, right? So they're just waiting, waiting for someone to to have a someone else that the Republicans will agree to, and whatever it is. Like these things are all have to be partnered up. But yeah, where is it? I mean, it's, honestly, it's almost August. It's almost August. Yeah. And on the competition just, front, T-Mobile did also say that they still expect to get five hundred thousand home broadband subs, I think by the end of this year, Verizon, as we know, is going to be building out C-band. So they're going to be going after that market aggressively um, next year. Maybe cable's looking at this and saying, look, we've done our work on wireless and we don't think that's going to be competition. So we're not going to invest in Uplink. And I think they said the same thing about Google and, and I think Verizon. And then in those markets where they saw competition, they had to invest. So another tweet uh, tied to Dish um, different topic, but Dish, this is from the streamable, Dish ends carriage dispute with Warner Media, bringing HBO back after over a two and a half year hiatus. Uh, um, surprising in, 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 in a sense, because Charlie had said, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, the prices they wanted are basically the, 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 the problem, the bat, the, the battle, the last time, or if you go back two and a half years, it was, um, Warner Media at the time, actually it was Time Warner. So this is before AT&T bought it. Yeah. Uh, and it was, we have a guaranteed deal. So like Dish was paying on a fixed number, no matter yeah, whether people deal. took HBO right. or not, yeah. they were paying a fixed amount of subscribers with a floor. And that pissed off Charlie. Charlie was like, if this thing is available direct to consumer now, why should I be paying a fixed number of subs? Whatever you sell a la carte, we'll, we're happy to compensate you for. HBO said no. They walked. They took it off. All the subscribers on Dish obviously evaporated to zero. And now with... Obviously, you can't have a base deal because there is no base number of subscribers because you're starting at zero. And now, lo and behold, Charlie's got his a la carte deal. So to me, this feels like a brilliant win for Charlie. I mean, I'm sure he lost no, some dish forget, subs. Forget, but forget Charlie, right? I actually think this was a brilliant move for Warner because think about who the core HBO subscriber is and who they need to capture. The people that they need to capture, which they're trying to do with the max aspect of HBO, is the Charlie customer. Yep. Right? Thanks. And so having a marketing funnel to those people um, is important right now. What level would this negotiation have been on between Dish and T or Warner? Would this be with Stanky or would this be someone within Warner? I mean, it's a pretty important relationship. I mean, if you think, I mean, Dish is still what? I mean, if you think about Dish's subscriber base, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, yes, it's shrunk, but between Dish and Sling, it's a pretty, you know, they're still a very meaning. I mean, they're a top five player. I mean, like they matter. So I think this probably goes pretty high. I don't know if it goes to Stanky, but it certainly goes to Kylar, I'm sure. So in I terms can't of something help. of this size. Kylar's making decisions still? I think he actually is. He was touring Rome today. Oh, nice. So I can't help to to bring up the fact that, you know, when Dish did their deal with um, AT&T to move the, tr the boost traffic over there, I think I mentioned the time this was a surprise to Verizon and that there might be a much deeper part of the relationship here. Yep. I didn't think of this one, but DirecTV, Dish, um, pay TV merger was part of it. Spectrum um, sharing, network sharing could be a part of it. This, this was not one of the ones on the rate card. Um, but maybe there is a, a closer relationship that's developing between AT&T and, and Stanky's ability to, you know, Randall would be like, oh, no one can do a deal with Charlie. I'm like, okay, well, Stanky just did 
two. Right, right, right. So there's two. So maybe someone yeah. can do a deal with Charlie. So yeah. that whole narrative about Charlie and Dish, which was in part driven by 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 Randall and people listening to him, because, and I think there's two sides to the original Dish DTV merger. I think Charlie gets, um, you know, for walking away. I think there was probably more to that original story than I think we probably know. So. Again, getting back to my look at the actions rather than the words and the bullshit narratives. And for a guy that can't get a deal done, he just did two after doing the Sprint T-Mobile merger. Both with the same that's company. Three. So, okay, yeah, so that's look. three. Yeah. I, I will say the funniest response, though, to, to that, to you know, tweeting about what was happening with this. Someone said, should we have the defibrillator on standby for, for you, Rich? Um, if, if Sinclair reaches a deal with Charlie, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, uh, but I, what I, do you I, think I the odds to, of that are rich? Let's get, well, so, so that's what almost, I wanted to almost address. Zero. <laughs> right. Because, because unlike HBO, it's, it's, which was starting at zero and it was a la carte, there's no a la carte deal for yeah. RSNs. There's no tiering of RSNs. RSNs is every disc sub is going to have to pay four to $6 more a month, if not more. I don't think that it's, math works at all for apples Charlie. and oranges. It's like a- apples and orangutans. Yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> Good job working orangutan into our yeah. podcast so again I, this I, week, Brandon. I, I'll never say I'll never say never, but I think it is highly unlikely, and I think it would be a mystery to say Dish does deal with HBO. Sinclair is next. I would put the odds at you know close to zero, as close to zero as you possibly could. We need to have like a monkey sound effect. You know how like Kramer has that red button? I, I, actually, bye, bye, bye. I, I actually have a good one. Just every time orangutan or ape is mentioned, just hit the red button and then get that. Ooh, I ah. just, it's just going to be hard to play it through Zoom. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to figure out how we play it through Zoom so we can but do stuff like I'll that. be honest with you. Um, among my favorites across the top of my Google Chrome, I do have a YouTube video um, that monkey. links to a screaming monkey. What about salacious crumb? Do you have one of those? <laughs> I'm salacious, <laughs> but okay, that means move. but that means Rich is Jabba the Hut. <laughs> what are you talking about? Rich uh, looks very svelte now. We're not talking Lucas Films. We're is talking. It? We're. I guess. Talking, I guess after we're a Marvel this week. <laughs> that is true. And by the way, Rich, congratulations for passing your colonoscopy with flying no, colors, no polyps or whatever or it was, fly, or flying liquids. <laughs> I don't think anyone needed to know that. I really think that was sort of. Uh, it's great to know. Thanks, Everyone's everybody. very happy. It's everyone knows that for once you're in your 40s, that everyone has to get a colonoscopy. Please, please. It's very early detection. It's very important. Please get your colonoscopy. Now you don't have to get one for 10 years, right? And just one medical note, you can now get um, approval for them at 45 because there's been new science and data that says, Uh you know, so you can get that approved at 45. You don't have to wait for 50 anymore. So please get that done. Everyone to all of our listeners, very important. Some of us are not as old as, some are not not as old as you, Walt. So that's true. But I'm just, just a, this is just a, you know, a note to our listeners. So was it like doing a juice cleanse? (laughs) After my vacation, I was thinking about doing a nice one of those juice cleanses. Uh, I think I need like three juice cleanses at this point. I had had a bombolini for breakfast today. I wonder if COVID, I wonder if colonoscopies and cleanses are up post COVID because people have to get out and they realize how fat they've been. So it's like, okay, let's do a double, like rather than just doing my my January cleanse, let's do a cleanse and a colonoscopy. Can we can we research that? We're gonna lose listeners. We're definitely gonna lose listeners. This okay, week. this is All a right. great way to like turn people off. Okay, sorry. Let's move on. Okay, yes. let's go to Marvel. So Wall Street Journal: Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over the release of Black Widow, saying that releasing the film simultaneously in theaters and on its Disney Plus streaming service breached her contract. And then Variety, hours after Scarlett Johansson filed a lawsuit against Disney, the company has fired back, slamming the Black Widow stars' breach of contract lawsuit for showing quote callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic. Um, okay, so let's let's just set the table. Scarlett Johansson had a contract that said, very specifically, my movie will be released in theaters. Disney decides to, be, because of the world of COVID, release the movie both in theaters and on Disney Plus at a $30 premium. Yep. Rather so it was than, released in theaters. Cur- but it was, it was released, released in theaters. theaters. Okay. It was released in theaters. So maybe but it was she also released on lawyers. Disney Plus. No, also released on Disney Plus, no, which was a but violation. Her, of her, contract. her contract, it was, I assume, very much tied to the theatrical performance. Um, 
but we're all uh, making assumptions release. of what the contract said. You, you're That's saying that, true. like, oh, her contract, you know, didn't allow them to do digital. We don't know that. If you read the that's lawsuit, what she says, that, the lawsuit shows. Okay, that's what the lawsuit yes. says. Yes. Okay, and okay, what what did Disney well, say about the lawsuit? They said the exact opposite. So, but, but here's know. what I want to go with. But I want to simplify laws. this. But I want to simplify this. When HBO had this same issue with Wonder Woman, Matrix, all the films, Legendary, all the films that they released this year, what they did is they went back to the talent, they renegotiated, and paid the talent a lot of money to enable simultaneous exploitation on digital by the way absolutely they were forced into that but absolutely the right thing to do because and you don't hear a peep from talent the talent the talent didn't know that's not true you did hear a peep from talent at the time they were kylar was like publicly denigrated by people and that guy that that two weeks later okay but they did still go after them i i would argue the opposite you you have one actress they did go after them you have one actress that's suing them you don't have a bunch of people denigrating disney in in the in the public media and by the way she got paid 20 million she could have made a hundred or something okay they should probably just pay her and move on right well and there's there should be a new formula for back ends Right. Hold on. Let's just stop. Not back in ne- Netflix, Netflix, Apple and Amazon buy out the back end and they just pick a number based on what they think the film would have done. Like, you know, in theory, and they yeah. pay the talent a full number up front. That's what Disney's got to do. This is very okay. simple. So that- everyone else is doing it. Like the only company that is taking this sort of altered model of like the world hasn't changed is Disney. All the other studios are doing that when they actually have a simultaneous digital release. And so I think I think that's sort of what's interesting here. And I, I think what'll be really interesting to Walt's point is my guess is this isn't the only talent. I think talent's going to rally well, behind us. So may, maybe, so my not knowing shit about how this yep. works it, from an outside observer's point is like, if if Disney's willing to, to go to the sheets on this one, they probably have other contracts with existing movies that are written the same way. So they're like, let's fucking go. Let, let's just take a shot and go for it. And set a precedent so that these other contracts, you know, we have some some leverage in terms of renegotiating those contracts, which, by the way, then implies that your precious window that you've wanted to close is closing. And like if Disney's willing to fight it, they're, maybe they're just setting the stage to just clean the decks on any existing contracts they have with movies. Thoughts on that, Rich? I want to ask you a question because it relates directly to that. Um, and I think it's the central thing. And I was sort of debating this with Hershorn on Twitter yesterday is what matters more for Disney now is the IP strong enough where the talent isn't that important. Yeah, like, that's what it, I, I was literally just thinking like, about that. Maybe Disney is just like, I don't give a shit about the talent anymore. It doesn't no, matter who we, who we plug into those roles. I mean, because- Mandalorian Mandalorian was fucking huge. And the talent is face is behind a goddamn mask. <laughs> right. But look, I think Marvel is is I think part of Marvel's essence is having the superstars in there. So I love Marvel, but I think it's also you know. So you think the talent does matter? Talent ma- matters. I yeah, I think I think you specific know, talent. I mean, I don't. It's, that's a tough question. Right? I, I know, that's but a tough but, question. I, but but there's no company that is sort of pushing on this as much as Disney. I mean, like. Disney's deals for Disney Plus are unlike any if, other if any, deals for let's other just studios. Put it this way. If there if any one of the studios is bigger than the talent, it is Disney. I, I get that. That is a hundred percent. I mean, look, there's good actors and bad actors. And you know, there's actors that obviously attract interest and in, in those that don't. So like I don't yeah, I believe the ta- people do matter. The, Human, the big, humans the big do matter. Star <laughs> isn't what it used to be though. If you go back to what movies used to be, it's like you were going to see a Tom Cruise movie, right? It's, so you're it's, not going to go see the Jungle I guess Cruise the Rock. The Rock may, you're maybe, not going to. I was going to say the Rock may be that big now. Well, um, really? So you're going to go see Jungle Cruise this weekend because the Rock is in a. Well, I don't give a crap about the Rock or Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I also think that Marvel and Disney, and you know, more broadly, makes these characters or makes these actors and actresses what they are. Like, so it's symbiotic. It's not like, you know, every single one of these was a super rock star until they became a super rock star in a Marvel movie. 
I think we're going to hear a lot more about this in the. By the way, that's, I don't think that's the case for Scarlett. You're a great actress, Scarlett. I love all your movies. I think you should get paid more than twenty million, but you know, public opinion, twenty million is a big number for most Americans. Well, the funny part is, is that Disney was sort of saying you should be thanking us because this by releasing it on Pivot, it did more than it otherwise would have done. But the obvious response would have been, well, you could have just waited a year. You didn't have to release this movie now. Um, there was no burning reason this movie had to be released uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I, I look, I think there, contracts going forward will all, you know, sure. figure this out. This is like, sure. an inter- but there's lots of contracts in the interim situation. that are problematic. Yeah. I know I agree with you, Brandon, but like you you knew that this day was coming at some point and COVID like many things, COVID accelerated many things. So look, we don't know what the contract said other than the excerpts provided by the protagonist here or the antagonist. So like maybe she just had bad lawyers and like you have to prepare for the unexpected. My guess is this is Disney. You know, from what I can tell, this is Disney wanting to be different than the rest of the industry and just not wanting to pay talent the big dollars that Warner Brothers did and others. Like, sure, we, we've I mean, seen situations Apple, in the Apple past because, paid, because, because they're bigger than it. And we have yeah. seen situations in the past. I, I can't, I'm blanking on which one it was, but Rich, this may trigger your memory where companies knew that they were wrong, but they took it to court anyway just because. And again, so why would you do that if you're Disney? You know, you might as well take a shot because maybe you have other contracts that you need some more wiggle room on because your overall plan is to collapse that window because you saw how successful it was and the fact that your customers actually like that and the fact that Disney stock goes up because more people are subscribing to Disney Plus. Like there's all the incentive in the world to fight her. Look, the reality, no, I see I would flip it around and like what Disney needs to do is get rid of the $30 premium buy the talent out, just put these movies directly onto Disney plus like jungle cruise should not be $30 extra. It should just be part of your Disney plus membership. They could charge more for Disney plus subs would go up a lot. Subscribers would be happy and the stock would fly. Like I think Disney just has to sort of bite the bullet and go fully in on streaming. And I think this is part of it. And there's Disney sort of still living in this sort of like past world and trying to figure it out. We'll see. Can I just ask you one more question on this? Like this concept of pissing off the talent, which we heard so much about when Jason Kylar had his, you know, the initial move. Okay. So you're going to boycott Disney and like, you're not going to take those big ass Marvel and star Wars checks anytime going forward. You're going to boycott and like walk away from one of the biggest chests in the, I mean, how much leverage does talent really have in the situation? Um, Well, we're going to find out. Okay. Related to this, because um, it's just sort of interesting, Disney, for the first time ever, is skipping CinemaCon. Now, you could certainly say this is COVID-related, given how we started this podcast. The funny thing about that, obviously, is the theme parks have tens of thousands of people on them. There's obviously lots of indoor stuff at the theme parks, and I think Disney sends like 12 people to CinemaCon. So to me, this feels more like the theater industry, which we've talked about on prior podcasts, which has sort of attacked Disney for their... You know, putting movies out simultaneously, both on streaming as well as in theaters. I think this is Disney saying you're going to start attacking us. You know, we're not going to show up to your event. This feels like sort of the a growing sort of um, fissure, I guess is the best word between the theater industry and Disney as Disney is sort of leaning more and more into the future. And my guess is lawsuit aside, because I, I think a lot of the press is going to say this is like talent doesn't like streaming. I don't think that's at all. I think talent just wants to get paid for streaming. Disney's clearly leaning more and more into streaming. Not good for the theater industry, despite the fact that AMC stock is still at $38 and driving me insane. So is Disney going to skip um, ApeCon? ApeCon was canceled, Walter. It was canceled. Oh, sorry. Was that for COVID? I I don't know. I mean, I I, I believe it was fraudulent. And I'm not even sure it actually ever really was going to happen. Although I did read, the funniest thing I read is that there was a lawyer that was being retained to sue the hedge fund industry, certain ones in specific, um, as part of their illegal behavior uh, around AMC stock. And of course, the lawyer that raised $120,000 from apes was a fraud and was fake. And the people were basically extorted $120,000 to support really? a lawsuit. Maybe they should move ApeCon to that little island that that dude, like, you know, had that was supposed to have that big party on. What was that oh, thing? F- the Firefest. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad we didn't invest in that, Brandon. That was before uh, our time. 
Yeah, I know. No, here, here we, we go. Would not um, have invested in that. Where, where, that, where is that guy, Billy? Is he still in incarcerated, or is he? What's his deal? <laughs> there, you mean there should be a follow-up documentary for sure. Those were great documentaries. I, I would both, definitely both consume. Were amazing. I, I would definitely both consume a third or fourth Billy, documentary about fire. Bill, what was that his name? name? Billy something. That was amazing. Both was Okay, on to the next. Let's go to WWE, um, and we've got some audio. Brandon, you want to tee it up before I introduce the audio? Yes. So basically what's going on in the wrestling business now is that WWE's had this competitor, AEW, who was a small competitor, more uh, along the lines of, of WWE's development brand, NXT. But suddenly they're doing what I think about 1.1 million viewers um, per show, which is starting, you know, is well past what NXT is, six or 700,000, and starting to encroach towards the like 1.7 or 1.8 million that Raw is doing. And now um, uh, AW is signing two former WWE wrestlers. Um, one is Daniel Bryan, who's been active and a fan favorite. And the other is uh, CM Punk, who, if you asked a lot of WWE fans, the one wrestler um, that they'd want to see come back, um, it, it's him. So you have a situation now where, you know, AW, what if they add four or 500,000 um, more viewers because of these investments in the roster? You're starting to encroach um on wwe's real hegemony and oh that's that a big could, word hegemony. that's, an, that's an sat word i wow. mean wow we what? both caught on to that what? that's a big Who, word me? i can't four, spell four that syllable, but that's a four syllable anyway <laughs> so we <laughs> we asked um we asked vince about it um with the idea that hey if you go back to the kind of this like heyday of wrestling when WCW was popular in like Monday Night Wars, it kind of what, you know, what lifted all boats and it kind of forced some creativity at WWE, which is something they need since, you know, things have been stale there and ratings have been kind of sagging for a while. And I guess here was Vince's response. Let's go to the audio tape. Certainly not a situation where rising tide because, uh, when Ted Turner was coming after us and with all of the Time Warner's assets as well. That was a different situation. Um, AW is, is where they are. I don't really know what their plans are. I know what our plans are. I don't consider them a, a competition in the, uh, in the way that I would consider WCW back in the day. I think we're near close to that. Uh, and uh, I'm not so sure what their investments are as far as their talent is concerned, but um, perhaps... We can give them some more. <laughs> I mean, pretty uh, overall, pr- pretty dismissive. I don't know what their are, talent are investments are. are perhaps you surprised we can give dismissive? them more. Are you surprised? How no, dismissive? I would. I mean, what are you going to say? I think Nick Khan came on and said the right thing right after that, which is, "We have blinders on, and we're just going to do the best we can." And you know, kind of like whatever they're doing is their business uh that's not really the way you know vince has always been pretty cognizant um of competition i actually think it could be good for wrestling and ratings if if there is kind of a rivalry that that heats up even if it will cause you know potential um extra investment in, in roster if there's bidding war for uh for wrestlers which but nobody seems terribly focused on competition day. right now, are they? No, not at all. Nobody seems to care about it. No, I mean, people are extremely focused on ratings, and ratings came back a little bit the first um, week that live audiences returned, and then they dipped back a little bit, um, and AEW is kind of continuing to grow. So I think investors will get pretty focused if they get to that sort of one five one six level. Um especially as the whole story around the stock is what are the Raw and SmackDown licensing deals going to look like next time around? Who owns AEW? So AEW is owned by uh, 
um, by an individual, by Khan, Tony Khan. And um, he's, you know, he's worth several billions more than actually um, Vince is worth. And they have their television deal with Turner, which pays them 44, I think, million dollars a year, which is substantially different than um, than the deal that uh, Raw and SmackDown have, which is does he have a, does he know, have an XFL five, team though? <laughs> no, he has an NFL team. <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars. An XFL team. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was good, right? That was really yeah, good. that was good. But it's interesting to think about like what Turner's relationship with sports going to be after the discovery deal is closed. And are they even going to want like the likes of, um, of AEW anymore? So that well, could, I'm you gonna... know, that could become real competition. Um, when you look at the supply demand for, um, for the next deal. For well, but, let, let, but let's, but let's stay on that. I'm going to call an audible and bring up this just because I think it sort of relates to just what you were talking about. You know, Univision, this is Sports Business Journal, Univision's acquired a large equity stake in Hispanic MMA outfit Combat Day Global. The agreement comes after the two sides back in March signed a five-year media rights pack for 30 live events per year. The reason I bring this up is I just think to your point on what is Warner Media soon to be discover. I guess it's Warner Bros. Discovery. Uh, how Thank do you, these come? I know. I'm always going to say Warner Bros. Warner Bros. Yes, we're going to stick with that. But, but there is this question Bros. of, do you want to just be a licensor of rights or do you actually want to own leagues? Yeah. You know, I think that's the the big question of like owning leagues. You know, if you, we look at, we've talked about Endeavor owning UFC, um, the real value is there. It's not in the media rights, right? Like the media rights is where it's expensive. The exploitation is sort of the exciting part. Will we see more trying to own? So Univision, obviously, you know, dipping in and doing on the MMA side, and Netflix has said if they're ever going to get involved with sports or leagues, it would only be if they own the league. And so you sort of look at sort of Turner and go back to your question of like, if you were sitting in David Zaslav's shoes, could owning AEW be of interest? I mean, obviously, we've talked about WWE being sold for years. It, you yep. know, I don't think there's any there's no tangible signs of that. But, you know, do you is want that? To is own- that is that something that Khan wants to do? I don't know. Right. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying if I was sitting in Zaslov's shoes owning, you know, owning sports IP that you can exploit in any way that you actually own and control would seem to be really interesting, um, especially if you have a global platform. And that's, so, an, that's an interesting point. I, again, I don't think anyone's thinking about it from that angle at the moment, but it just makes, you know, the way you said it has me thinking like that should be on the radar screen, maybe not at five times leverage, which is where Discovery and Warner Bros are going to start out life, but just something to think about. Uh, now let's move on to um, what is real disruption. Uh, why don't you read this, Brandon? From Brett McMurphy, Big 12's cease and desist to ESPN claims the network contacted other conferences, quote, encouraging them to take Big 12 schools so Big 12 dissolves, eliminating grant of rights, sources told at stadium. If the Big 12 implodes, ESPN is not responsible for the four, final four years of the deal worth $1.06 billion. Oh, and by the way, we should power move. Disney uh, has been the backer and owns SEC the SEC Network. Network. Right. So they seem so to have you, a slightly so you vested take interest. The, the two best or best sports schools, shall I say, out of the Big 12, bring them over to the SEC. And then get yourself out of the rights deal that you have with the Big 12. It's kind of a brilliant move. It's a power move. Yeah, that's a power move. That is flexing. And, you know, look, we keep talking on this about what we think the long-term plan is. And I don't really think there's any reason why ESPN and ABC need to be part of Disney. But if you were going to separate them, you'd want sort of the ESPN sports rights, you know, sort of future to be very much locked in. And if you think about sort of they've locked the NFL in, they've locked in baseball, they've locked in hockey. Now you see them locking in more college football, or co- which is the second most you know important sport on ESPN. Really, the only thing that's sort of, quote unquote, out there over the next couple of years is really the NBA contract, which expires in 2025. And 
you know, I, I don't know exactly what the plan is, but it, it just sort of it makes you think that there's just more and more optionality being created for Disney. I think investors would love ESPN not to be there uh, and to separate it and focus. It's sort of pull a bucus where you just start narrowing the company down to what people really love. And I think sort of locking yeah. in more and more rights. Again, this is just this just sort of, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're basically running the they're running the table on sports rights. And if you're going to be an a la carte service, like over the top service, I mean, if you want sports, you have to have ESPN. If you if, if you don't want sports, that's it. And eventually they should be able to have real negotiating power with the leaks both because yeah. of that and because a lot of their competitors are weakening in their uh, cash flow situations because of the deterioration of the bundle. The only flip side of all of this, right, is that the rights costs keep going up. We haven't seen any alleviation of rights cost increases in the U.S. And so no. you're paying more the, while the, while your revenues are no, starting to fall. No, thus, thus far. OK, but think about what you saw in scripted television. And it was very predictable. For, at first, everybody tried to tried to add more scripted television to stem the declines in um, and and to give them negotiating leverage for uh, affiliate deals. And then they were like, "Oh shit, we're losing subs, and the and eyeballs are moving." So what they do? They started to um, chop. Um, their programming. And the same thing is going to happen with sports because they're simply not going to be able to afford them. And then what happens, the only um, bidders that are left are either digital or the ultimate scale bidder. And the ultimate scale bidder will be ESPN. So like, I- Well, you're assuming no tech companies step in, but yeah, that's a- you Well, that's what I pretty, said. Well, that's right. what I said. Right. It's just a matter of like, there's a shot that some of these others, like, you know, look at what Amazon's doing. Like, I'm sure I'm assuming Amazon's just getting started with Thursday Night Football. And yeah, you know, but there's been no signs. Google, you know, Facebook uh, for a little bit. And then that went away. Apple, who the fuck knows what's going on there. There were, you know, kind we're of still waiting on Sunday ticket around Sunday ticket. Yes, where's the Sunday ticket? But it seems like oh, no. it seems like Sunday ticket is not going for what the NFL probably wanted. Yep. And you know, does maybe that price keep coming down. Maybe Brandon, what do you think? No, I mean, actually? I yes, I do think that. Mm -hmm. And maybe that you know, maybe light sheds buying those right. Can, can light shed step in if they fall far enough? No, Rich. I was thinking about another sports uh, online sports service by the name of Fubo. <laughs> They would have to really come down for Fubo. <laughs> they only have a few hundred million dollars of cash left, so it would really have to fall down. For our uh, Disney listeners, please, ESPN, I would love to have that. I love your ESPN service. It's the best sports app out there. So if you can get it, that'd be great. So I won't hold we, my breath. We've been spending a lot of time talking about sort of the convergence of, of um content and advertising and shopping and commerce. commerce i should say not shopping but commerce so i thought it was pretty interesting that you know twitter this week introduced a shopping module so if you know in this case we're showing um gamestop um where they're actually you know just because why not talk about gme on our podcast uh and so gamestop actually showing off that you can buy directly from their profile they're actually starting to showcase things that you can buy I don't know if Twitter is going to be the ultimate place where you buy things relative to things like Instagram and Pinterest and others. But I do think that sort of closing the transaction funnel and, and moving from ad spend and being able to buy directly is something we're seeing on all of the mobile platforms, whether it be Snapchat or Facebook, et cetera. I think it's very natural for Twitter and just shows you payments in there now. Correct. And so it just shows how Twitter keeps iterating. Especially on the ad product side, which has, I think, been one of investors' big pet peeves over the last couple of years. And I think the fact that they're pushing ad products is really encouraging. Is Twitter and Square going to ultimately come together? Is is that what Jack's big plan is for eventually? The way he talked about crypto being important to Twitter in the future introducing payments even, I, into Twitter. I don't know. I, I don't it's a know. Thought. I'm not, uh, Maybe a crazy one. Yeah, I think that's a crazy one for now, but who knows? I don't know. 
Uh, okay, let's uh, on to the next. Yeah, let's move on. Um, uh, why is this <laughs> not working? I know, I know. Let's All right, so we're going to have a little editing session. No, stop. So we've got um, two things that sort of tie to Hulu uh, that I think are interesting. W- one is that. So Disney has been launching Star they, you know, back at the Analyst Day. I forget when they did the Analyst Day, Brandon. Was it earlier in the – it must have been early this year. Yes. Their big Analyst Day, and they talked about sort of these massive global numbers that they were expecting. And part of the global rollout was that they were going to launch this thing called Star um, in uh, basically everywhere else outside the U.S. Yeah, they, it's their general the, entertainment brand. Correct. It was going to be Star. Yeah. So they basically were going to take what they had in Asia – and roll it out. So they rolled it out in Europe and they were going to roll out Latin America. And then they've run into a little bit of a problem because stars essentially went and said, you can't roll out star because star sounds too much like stars. So remember, remember they could have used Hulu, but they refused to use the Hulu brand because they don't want to have to pay Comcast even more for Hulu and increase the value of Hulu, uh, which was, they basically would have needed Comcast consent because Comcast still owns a third of Hulu. So they use this new brand. They come up with Star, which is their Asian side or their Asian streaming or the Asian video service. Now they can't use Star because of this. And so then now they're ending up in court and, and have to go through a court process. Meanwhile, in the U.S., they're already in arbitration with Comcast over Hulu because basically Comcast has said you launched Hulu overseas. You just called it something else. You didn't have the right to do that. Meanwhile, Peacock is sort of trying to launch, and they're now talking about Peacock launching overseas um, using the UK and Sky platform, even though Peacock doesn't seem like it's gotten a whole lot of usage in the US. Long story short, it makes no sense why this partnership, which has way outlived its usefulness, has not been cleaned up. Like It's crazy that we're still talking about Comcast owning a third of Hulu. Comcast needs their content so they can put it all on Peacock exclusively. Disney should just use the Hulu brand globally and kill this star thing. Like, it's just crazy that we're still having. Meanwhile, the Disney affiliate deal with Comcast is up in In a couple of months. So does that catalyze it, Rich? That might be what, you know, the the, the thing that sort of, you know, we always like like nice little ribbons to tie things up and package this up. Maybe that's it, Brandon. Um, I mean, look. I think animosity between the two companies, which has been awful for decades, but certainly has amped up over the last few years since Disney sort of fucked over Comcast (laughs) with the Fox acquisition. I think that's the only way to say it. Uh, And I think Brian's still bitter. And obviously, Brian got the much Brian fucked himself over (laughs) because he he ended up buying Sky at an inflated valuation. So like it just was it went where would Comcast stock be now if not for that deal? If, If Comcast separated the company. If Comcast was just Comcast with those cable numbers the other day, Comcast stock probably would be double where it's trading right now. I mean, think about all the the lack of fiber investment (laughs) to build the metaverse. Maybe they would be doing that. (laughs) Oh my God. That's a great one, Brandon. Okay. Um, Next. Okay. Let's move on to uh, next. Let's move. Let's move to fish. What? Oh, no. We always have to work fishing. Um, so Sirius XM bundling nugs live content with VIP platinum subscription. So basically we, we did talk about nugs because they, um, do the live fish, um, streaming and do a lot of these, um, subscription, um, live streaming broadcasts, um, for different bands. I, I think what's interesting about this though is Siri. Um, redoing their plans and this VIP platinum one um, not only has these this live concert subscription in it or or sort of an archive um, of live audio and video concerts but it, it's just this building of of bundles um, to both reduce churn and to bring ARPU up and adding other things so in this platinum one they're also adding um, some uh, some access to tickets and the ability to have two cars on the same subscription. Do you think? I mean, it would seem with Siri with all of Siri's cash. Um, I wonder why Siri is just not buying things like this, like rather than partnering. Like, they- well, I mean, they have been making audio 
um, or acquisitions in in other audio space. And Pandora's um, worked out really well. That's an industry leader that they acquired for sure. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Like, it's just, it's incredible that Pandora, I, it's actually hard to believe it even exists at this point. That that um, used to be your biggest target, Rich. No, I, I haven't even back, thought about it in years, in really. I, although I did see an interview with Tim Westergren and he, he literally, he was still attacking Spotify for how, you know, like the, whatever the 50 million tracks on a click wheel, like he was still going after the fact that like he had the better product. Like it was sort of mind boggling that he still stuck on the fact that like he thought he had the superior product. Broken okay, record. Let's, let's go to our final slide, which, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, the final slide, which is um, Art Stapleton saying big blue assemble New York Giants Marvel teaming up for Avengers inspired comic book crossover and series of initiatives as part of the 2021 season collaboration. We've got a picture of the New York Giants sort of acting like Marvel Avengers. I yeah, thought yeah, it's an Avengers Giants um, collaboration, I guess. This is representative of synergy between ESPN and the rest of Disney. We always make fun this of the is fact what that there's no, like. right. We always say that Marvel and ESPN or Disney, Disney and ESPN basically have no overlap in terms of concentric circles. And Brandon, this is them proving us wrong that there yes, actually is collaboration definitely. or there is, there is overlap just a little. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a stretch to be honest, but I, I hear you. All right. Let's, let's do our outro song for what the are you sixes. Doing this, what are you doing this weekend, Brandon? I'm going to your house. And I have to see you again. Yeah. I can't wait, Rich. I'm... I love the start of this song. Yeah, this song's awesome. I don't know why we didn't start with this. Uh, yeah, it would have pumped us up. I think we would have had more energy this week if we started with this. Carmel was horrible. I know. It didn't set the right tone. This is the right tone. Should, should we re-record the podcast? No. <laughs> I think I think that's what I want to do. If there wasn't enough energy this week, now I'm fucking pumped. You know what it is? It is. Let me turn the music down. No, it's always hard. No. Yeah, it, turn the music down. We're getting on. pumped up. It, it was an earnings week. Earn, earn, it's, it's hard to be pumped after an earnings week. That's why we played. Like la- this week of the earnings last quarter, we <laughs> we played running on empty. And that's pretty much what it what it is in the middle of earnings. I found the simple life. It's so simple. Rich, is the DJ gonna play this morning? Uh, Actually, I would I, like to have I would like to have a talk with your DJ because show up show up early. I will, but I want to make sure the Peacock Cock song is getting played. Peacock. There'll be somebody from. Have a great weekend, everyone. That's episode 66. Bye-bye.